0: This is The Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
1: All right, so coming up on the program today, really looking forward to, and I mentioned off the top, Elliot Friedman joins me top of hour two. Bill Garen, I always like talking to him, uh, straight shooting guy. You know, there are just some people in the, uh, in the industry that, um, that seem really compelled to tell you exactly what's on their mind at all times. Uh, that's Bill Guerin, uh, Minnesota Wild general manager, a uh, big win last night against the Chicago Blackhawks. You know, Minnesota's won three of four, dropped the tough one Saturday against the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, Mike Harrington of the Buffalo News will drop by to talk about the Swords. Uh, Sabres are good. As much as we may look at some of the underlying numbers and say this is unsustainable, Hey, man, make hay when the sun is shining. Uh, if you're overperforming, that's fine. Just gobble up your points Pac-Man style uh, and, be, uh, and, and be on with it. Uh, so Harrington's coming up. Friedman kicks off Hour 2. Bill Guerin, bottom of Hour 2, Minnesota Wild general manager. Uh, but let's set up the week and have a look back at the weekend that was in, in case you, you missed anything because there was a lot. Maddie Marchese, our producer here, uh, joining us on the program. Hello, Matt. Happy Halloween, by the way, Maddie. Are you going out today?
2: Uh, I'm not, uh, we have my daughter who will be dressed up in her skunk costume because she is a quote unquote little stinker. So that'll be the day today. Oh, and yeah. everybody wants to come over to my house because nice. it's her first Halloween. So my house will be a horror show and not in a good way.
1: Okay. So she's going to be out trick or treating with your wife and you're going to be staying home, pouring drinks and feeding food. Is that the deal? Is no, she'll,
2: she's, she's too young to go trick or treat. I mean, the candy would just be for me and my wife. So that would be, that would be very unfair.
1: That's part of the perk when you're uh, when you're a new parent, though. you just sort of prayed the kid out and you get uh you get your loot bag all filled up. Uh, what was uh most intriguing for you this weekend? Like, there are a few things I didn't even mention Connor Hallibuck. Like if you look at some of the players around the NHL that have had you know spectacular starts here, man, Connor Hallibuck last Thursday. 40 saves, the Winnipeg Jets beat the Los Angeles Kings, 6-4 is a win. Again, Winnipeg probably had no business being in. Like Jonathan Quick had eh, not the best night. McCona Hellebuck did. And then last night against Vegas, again, the Winnipeg Jets lose this one in overtime. Jack Eichel with the heroics, you know, dragging Mark Scheifele all around the offensive zone. Hellebuck with 46 saves. Last night, with the nine thirty one save percentage right now, we're only you know turning the calendar from October to November, but right now, Connor Hallibuck is standing on his head for the Winnipeg Jets he even mention him off the top what's uh what's uh what stood out for you over the weekend? I
2: mean the Toronto Maple Leafs going one and four on a western trip that concludes with a yeah. loss in overtime in a game that you were up three one against the Let's call them list-list Anaheim Ducks because they, they've they really struggled. And to watch that last night, they got a lifeline when, when the one goal was called back for goalie interference after the successful challenge. They had life. Mitch Marner gets absolutely stoned by John Gibson in overtime. What a save that was. Like, that save on Mitch Marner was pretty much the epitome of that Western trip for the Leafs, it felt like
1: couple of things there. I thought the goalie interference interpretation was a bad call. Yes. I would have called that. To me that's just the to me that's just the battle in front and the Leafs got lucky on that one big time. To me there's um this kind of and we we've seen this going back to the Montreal game with Toronto. I don't think we've talked about it here. But now that we're 10 games in and you're starting to get a little bit of a better snapshot. And we'll see what November brings for this team, who knows. But one of the things that I don't think has really been discussed at all is how slow this team looks. Like, I don't think this is an optical illusion. Like, I've seen it for a couple of games, and then you say, okay, maybe I'm just seeing things. But then when you see it over and over and over again, you say to yourself, have they just lost something off their fastball here? Like, once upon a time, what was the saying? Like, don't get in a track meet with the Toronto Maple Leafs? Like, there's still a couple of guys that burn. Like, make, like uh, Alex Kerfoot is still a fast skater um nicholas Obe kubel who they brought in in the off season is a quick skater but does anybody else look like they're going at top speed yet and maybe this is why they just look like they're what was the word you used listless or maybe they look like they're uninvolved or not interested at certain times to me maddie this team just looks slow like i know john tavares always hears it because he's not the most fleet of foot but he's a veteran guy that can, that can get around the ice. And actually John Tavares is having a not bad season at all, but everybody else just looks like a half step slower than they've been the last couple of seasons. I don't know why I'm sure through player tracking, you can figure out whether this is true or not, but they just look like a slower team than just about everybody else. A that they play and everybody else in the league right now, Maddie, that's what it looks like to me. They look slower well, well and, and
2: not only that, Jeff, but when when this is all part of the the regular season doesn't matter narrative, but it almost feels like they're taking it a little too literally right now. Um, you still got to get there, and at this point they're on an eighty two point pace, I believe that certainly is not going to cut it. Uh, you need 96 yeah. ninety seven just to get in nowadays, but the one thing that we can yep. say is that the the elite talent on This team and we can we can talk about the defense until the cows come home because that has been pretty awful and I understand that there's there's some injuries and whatnot but you know the elite players are not carrying this team and and somebody pointed out to me um, on Twitter I think it was Michael Amato who does some fantasy hockey stuff for Sportsnet and he said the gap Mm -hmm. between the elite four and the rest of the forwards has never felt so big. And I never thought about it until that moment when he said that, and that really kind of resonated with me because when you really look at it, it does kind of feel that way. The bottom six, just it's, it's a, it's a mashup every single game. There's no consistency there. And I know that they're trying to find consistency in the lines to figure out who fits where, but at what point do you have to look at this roster and go, we need to start, keeping guys together just to have that consistency that we're looking for, keeping guys in the lineup to at least help out the top four guys who aren't producing all that well right now, if I'm being honest. And so I I think that's Mm -hmm. a big part of it. And the defense, which we know has really struggled, that's been a problem. And, you know, the thing that we thought might be an issue for this team was the goaltending, and I know Matt Murray's not included in this conversation right now. But that certainly has not been the issue, and that's what we thought it was going to be this year.
1: Uh, we did, and but the, at the same time, though, we did talk plenty, and a lot of other people did, about the hospital bracelet issue uh, with Matt Murray. Namely, could he keep it off of his wrist? Um, I want to get into the Vancouver Canucks here. And congratulations, they've won a couple of games in a row. So some of, I don't want to say all, but some of the heat is off in Vancouver now. And one person that that every time I watch them is kind of front and center as being, let me put it this way. I think one of the best compliments you can pay a hockey player. Well, there's two. One is saying that hockey player could play in any era. And we talked about this uh, with Brad Marchand last week. Like he could play in any era, pick an era of hockey, the way they get, the way that it was played Brad Marchand could play in that era. That's a great compliment, I think, for a hockey player. Two, the other great compliment is he makes everybody around him better. And there are some of the obvious ones like Gretzky, obvious Mario. Like there are some of the obvious ones. And I'm not going to compare this player to those two gentlemen, who are two of the best hockey players ever. But I keep coming back to Horvat with the Vancouver Canucks, and 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 can't see why this. Deal is not done yet. He's the captain. He's um one of the best face off uh face-off guys in the entire NHL. has uh, a fifty-eight point five three percent at the dot. Um he's an over a point a game player right now for the Vancouver Canucks. But more so but more so for Bo Horvat, it almost seems as if when a player's struggling, you put him with Horvat, and it changes. Most recently, that's J.T. Miller. All of a sudden, we're talking about, hey, J.T. Miller's turned things around. When they put him with Horvat. When Elias Pedersen last season was struggling, what was the remedy? Put him with Bo Horvat. There are just some players that make the game easy to play for their teammates, and Bo Horvat is that guy. Let's not forget, too, last year, if, uh, if there was an Olympics, he was probably going to be on that Olympic team as well. Um, he's still without contract. Uh, it's the last year of his deal, free agency. Like the old saying, Maddie, you never want to let a player get too close to free agency because the closer you get, the more the player and certainly his agent says, well, we've come this far. Let's maybe see what's on the other side of this mountain. You kind of never want to do that. Like one of three things is going to happen here. Either the Vancouver Canucks, because I believe it is in their court. Either the Vancouver Canucks make Bohorvat. You know, a knock your socks off, blow it out of the park offer during the season, or they do something after the season, or they lose Bo Horvat. And I don't know that if you're the Vancouver Canucks and you're the rebuilding Canucks and timelines and you know how long you're gonna have, you know Demko at this uh, at this at this relatively cheap price. Um, I don't know that if you're the Vancouver Canucks, you can afford to lose someone like Bo Horvat. You know, down the middle of the luxury is Elias Pettersson and Bo Horvath, two distinct players, two different players, and two profoundly excellent players as well. I First of all, congrats to the Vancouver Canucks. Taking some of the heat off right now, it was tense there. And as Elliot reported on the weekend on Hockey Night, Jim Rutherford you know, read the team, the Riot Act, that if things don't turn around, you're not getting a coaching change because it didn't work with Travis Green. It's not working right now with Bruce Boudreau the problem is not coaching the problem are the problem is people in the room so the heat is still very much on in vancouver it's been turned down a little bit but as we know with this market it can fire right back up your thoughts on vancouver and your thoughts on bohorvat if you have one
2: yeah, Bo Horvat is just one of those. And you talk about a versatile player, right? He does play center, but you could you could absolutely if you, if you ever wanted to move J T. Miller back to the middle, you could play Bo Horvat on the wing if you needed to. Like he's one of those players that up and down the lineup, it doesn't matter what the role is, Bo Horvat can play it. He's the captain of the team, and and when we look at you know he's he's an unrestricted free agent after this season and. That's right. What, what does that what does that number look like? Like, wh- how do the Canucks fit this in? Because when you look at comparable deals, the one deal that I come up with is Tomas Hurdles. Like that that is the baseline for what the next deal looks like for Bo Horvat, and that that number is eight point one three. That's Tomash Hurdles' mm-hmm. deal, and and you c- and I can make the argument that Bo Horvat. And Tomash Hurdle, very similar in ages in which they would sign said deal and and in terms of just their overall play, their points, like that's the comparable. And how does Vancouver make that work? I know they've been trying to shed salary. I know they tried to do that last year, but then we you know, we talked about it even even last week. What have the, the Canucks done in terms of you know roster management that Jim Benning didn't wouldn't have done? Keep re-signing the same guys. You keep going back to the well with the team that, you know, mm-hmm. just because they gave you a taste a, a couple years ago, oh, okay, we're we're in good shape here. And that's just that's just not the case. So Bo Horvat, that number has to fit somewhere. And I'd be really curious to see who's going out because there's not there's not a name that you look at and go, that's the one that makes the most sense, that is the most tangible to move.
1: Couple of things there. I think there's a couple of other players that we look for. Uh, I wonder how much the Matthew Barzell deal affects uh, what Horvat's ask will be. And listen, uh, Matt Barzell, you know, he's this year at seven, and then he jumps to nine point one. Uh, I'd look at Dylan Larkin in Detroit to see what uh, what his next deal ends up being. Uh, I think you could probably use that one as some type of uh, of comparable as well. Like, look, like I, this is this is going to be expensive for the Vancouver Canucks. Like Bo Horvat is valued around the league. Like there's a lot of teams. Like put it to you this way. And again, I'm just, I'm just totally spitballing. And this is just off the off the top of my head. But you look what the Philadelphia Flyers are going through right now with Sean Couturier. And we all hope that Sean Couturier, you know, the surgery, the rehab, all and he and he comes back and he's healthy again. But what if he's not? Like, what if Sean Couturier isn't going to play for the Philadelphia Flyers? Back injuries are, are awful, to be blunt. What if there's no Sean Couturier with the Philadelphia Flyers? You tell me you don't you can't see Bo Horvat in orange? You think that player doesn't fit there? Like, there are a lot of teams. And that's such a premium position. And he's such an elite-level player. Like, this is going to be an expensive one for the Vancouver Canucks. I'm still, to be honest with you, I'm still... And I don't think I'm in the minority here either. A little surprised that they did the JT Miller deal before they did the Bohorvat deal. But uh, we'll park that one. What else uh, jumped out at you uh, this this past week? And by the way, I should mention Global Series coming up. I love the Global Series because I love seeing different fans, different cultures, different stadiums, different arenas, different uh, hockey cultures all over the world. So... Uh, the stadium series, Colorado and Columbus, uh, in Helsinki later on this week. Anyway, uh, what grabbed you, Maddie?
2: Well, let's let's talk about different atmosphere, Mullet Arena from the weekend. I mean, <laughs> I, Jeff, I'm I'm this this to me is still a joke. I, I think this is it's it's not good for the game to have a team playing in a 5,000 seat arena, a professional sports team of this magnitude. If you want to be taken seriously, however. Mm-hmm. That seemed like it was a lot of fun to be at, and we're gonna have uh, we're gonna have wish on on Wednesday as we always do, and he was there yeah. documenting everything that was going on at the arena, everything he saw, and by all accounts, from everything that that I've seen, everything that I've read, it looked like it was a blast.
1: Mm-hmm. That's exactly how I felt. Now I don't know how I'm gonna feel after I see it for thirty games. Don't know. Yes. But for the two games that we've seen, I liked it. Um, it feels like it's right up in your face. Obviously, it's a very small and, and intimate environment. It's like seeing, you know, it's like seeing your favorite band at a bar, right, or a really, really small venue. Um, so there is that vibe about it. To your point, it's not ideal. You know, uh, I would assume that the the Players Association. Uh, not exactly thrilled about this i don't think the nhl is thrilled about this i don't think anyone is thrilled about this but this is a situation where you're trying to make the best out of a tough situation Um, it's not the ideal spot for an nhl team having said all that i think the smartest thing that the arizona coyotes can do is exactly what they're doing and that is embracing it whether it's the cheap student section and having that sort of You know, college vibe uh, around the arena. That's different. That's unique. I'll tell you the one thing that I really did enjoy, and it's more like I don't think this is deliberate. I think it's just a bad byproduct of bad lighting. Like in the NHL, we're really lucky that the buildings are well lit. You know, like camera positions aren't always the best when you look at, you know, other San Jose Sharks or Anaheim Ducks games. But by and large, all the buildings outside of maybe those two are really built for television. And they look great, and they're well lit. Again, it's a really well-shot game. But it's, uh, it's a little bit darker <laughs> for television, but I don't mind that. You know why, Maddie?
2: Well, you like different things, that's for sure.
1: Well, I, I like shadows. I like looking at old pictures <laughs> of hockey, mainly be, not just because of the, the pictures and the people and the stories in them. I like the shadow hockey game. And the shadow hockey game is gone now. Like, think about, like, close your eyes for a second. You're listening or watching. Close your eyes for a second and think about your favorite old hockey photograph, right? Think about your favorite old hockey photograph. What are some of the things that stand out about it? I'm talking about black and whites or maybe some color. But what stands out? Shadows do, Yeah. right? We don't see that in the game anymore. It's very rare that you see a great photograph with a shadow attached to it. The shadow game is great. It doesn't exist anymore but you watch the coyotes play at mullet arena and it's almost like hey it's throwback night look there's there's shadows on the ice to me and this is how trivial I am I get really excited about that (laughs) it was like one of the first things I noticed Maddie I'm like hey the shadows are back in hockey this is fantastic call me a loser call me a geek I'm all of these things I get that but I dug the shadows Maddie what about you yeah, it's it's
2: definitely different. It's something that um, that we don't see anymore. And I, and I know exactly what you're talking about, looking back at some of the old pictures and whatnot. Um, actually, speaking of shadows yeah. and darkness and Halloween, we have to get this in before we hit the break and get to Mike Harrington. But since it's Halloween, Jeffrey, your favorite yeah. scary goalie mask. We have to get that in. Gary
1: Bromley, Vancouver. Gary Bromley, Vancouver, mm-hmm. Gary Bromley, Vancouver Bromley. Canucks, uh, for sure. Um Dave Dryden, Chicago Cougars was a great one, but I just still love, and mainly it's because of the story, uh, the Doug Favell story of the pumpkin mask. So that was painted by, this is 1971, it's around Halloween, it's either the Montreal game on the 29th or the LA game on the 31st. Um, Doug Favell, him and the trainer Frank Lewis, a uh, longtime uh, old school Philadelphia Flyers trainer. Uh, we're talking about doing something with this mask for, uh, for Halloween. And Favelle said, why don't you put some orange on it? And Lewis said, well, why don't you just paint the whole thing like a pumpkin? Because Charlie Brown and the Great Pumpkin was a big, was a big cartoon at that point. And they, they went for it on a goof. Um, it's the Ernie Higgins style mask. Uh, and that was, the, that was actually, Maddie, that was the first fully painted mask in the history of the NHL. Doug Favell. Cheevers was the first to put on, well, Jerry Cheever with the stitches. Every time we get hit, he'd put the stitches on there. But the first fully painted mask was Philadelphia Flyers and Doug Favell uh, in 1971. Jerry Meehan would have been the last player to score a goal on Doug Favell uh, while using that mask. Buffalo Sabres and Philadelphia Flyers, 1972 um and then that mascot painted over when he uh when he went to the toronto maple leafs and really it's it's really unfortunate because that pumpkin mask belongs in the hockey hall of fame as the very first um goalie mask ever fully painted uh another one comes to mind joe graton's tiger mask which i think everybody yep. has seen right now and i mean how do you not love the cobra mask of gary simmons like that was uh that was a great one too but the scariest gary bromley gary bromley vancouver canucks going away go quick what's yeah, yours that-
2: yeah, that was it. that was a really good one. The the Graton one for me was the was the best because of the story that goes along with the player. And he was very eccentric, mm-hmm. something that you may you may find in a horror movie. Um and yeah. that that to me was the one like the the story about him when he pounced on someone acting like he was a cat cuz in a previous life he believed he was a cat um or a tiger yep. or a lion whatever it was. Um, yeah, that whole story, but the bones Bromley, that's, I mean, that one is, it's so well done. It's so perfect. It's, it's absolutely Halloween.
1: Yeah. If you're interested, by the way, if you're interested in the story of Joe Graton, um, his book Gratuni the Loony or Loony, now yes, Gratuni the Loony or "Looney Gratuni. No, I think it's Gratuni the Loony Gratuni the is Loony. an excellent yeah. read. Gratuni the Loony, yeah, is an excellent read. Um, he also believed he was a reincarnation of a Spanish conquistador, That's a nice little wrinkle. And uh, for our listeners in Toronto, in the West End, the legendary George Bell Arena, which for my money, along with North York Centennial, now called Herb Carnegie, uh, always had the best ice in the city. Um, For the media there, when he played for the WHA Toros, because they used to practice at George Bell Arena, uh, he went out and streaked the ice, with only his goalie skates, went and did laps in front of the media. I think it was on a Sunday morning. A legendary story in the West End of Toronto. Anyway, I'm um, I'm exhausting myself of Gratuni the Looney stories for uh, for Halloween. But uh, Happy Halloween! And if you are out, whether you you know whether you're with your kids uh, or you know even more specifically if you're out driving tonight. Please slow down. If you're a delivery, if you're an Uber driver, if you're delivering food for any of the food delivery companies, please go a little bit slower uh, tonight because there are so many kids around. And if your food shows up late, or your cab or your Uber is a little bit late, please cut everybody slack today. Let's keep uh, all the kids safe for Halloween. Uh, coming up in hour two, Elliot Friedman from Hockey Night in Canada and 32 Thoughts, Bill Guerin, Minnesota Wild general manager as well. But joining me next. To talk about the Swords, it's not a horror show there at all. Quite the opposite. He's Mike Harrington from the Buffalo News. We'll talk about Rasmus Dahlin and, and company. Where The uh, Buffalo Sabres are having a real nice start to their season. Uh, we'll chat that next with Mike Harrington from the Buffalo News. Merrick show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360.
2: Covering the Raptors in depth like no one else. The Raptor Show with Will Lou. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
1: Welcome back to the program. In about uh, 20 minutes' time, Elliot Friedman, who's uh, landed, uh, coming back from the Dallas Stars Hall of Fame dinner. Uh, he'll join me for hour two, get into a number of things from around the NHL, the future of the coaches in uh, in Toronto, that is one of the things that will be up for grabs as well. We'll talk about Dallas. By the way, no Jake Ottinger uh, at practice. Oh, it was tough watching him leave that game against the Rangers on Saturday. Anyhow, we'll get into all that. Also, Bill Guerin joins me an hour or two, Minnesota Wild general manager. Uh, big win yesterday against the Chicago Blackhawks. Don't look now, but they've won three out of four uh, and looking, are looking to uh, kind of cure what ailed them to kick off the season. And don't look now either, but the Buffalo Sabres... Are a good team. Uh, they'll finish up the uh, October schedule tonight with a game against the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, Mike Harrington joins me now. Uh, if you don't follow Mike, you really should. If you don't read Mike, shame on you. You can follow him at the Buffalo News and you can also follow him on Twitter. He joins me now. Mike, how are you today?
3: Good afternoon, Jeff. I will fulfill your invoice for that introduction when you send it out to me.
1: <laughs> there's an old saying in the industry, Mike, there's no I in team but there's two eyes in invoice. So use that to, use that liberally, my friend. Um okay, so <laughs> I don't really have Teams that I cheer for as much as I have individual players that I cheer for, but the you know the little kid uh, you know growing up in southwestern Ontario watching The French Connection and watching King Kong Korab and Larry Playfair and Mike Robitaille and Danny Gare and etc etc has always wanted the Buffalo Sabres to do well. I just got like that. And listening to Ted Darling, the voice, and I'll always, with all due respect to Rick Jenner I'd have Ted Darling's voice in my head. Right here to think about the Buffalo Sabres. So I really want this to be real, Mike. Is this real right now what we're seeing with the Buffalo Sabres? You know, Jeff,
3: that's what we're about to find out. Um, we've seen this a lot in October. Mm-hmm. You know, the Sabres played Detroit tonight yeah. and in the last four the last four Octobers they're twenty 11 and five you know and things tend to go sideways in november and they have a tough schedule so we're going to see but the difference here is you really have a lot of belief in the coaching you have a lot of belief in the management you have a lot of belief in the talent level and the depth that really hasn't been there over time and you have rasmus Dahlin, who right now in the first month of the season is probably one of the top three candidates for the norris trophy he is becoming a superstar defenseman yeah. in front of our eyes and we all know if you want to get deep in the playoffs you need a Superstar defenseman. So yes, this could be more real than we've seen in the past. But we're going to have to have them prove it on the ice.
1: Okay, you're a pro. You got me there right away. Rasmus Dalene. So the difference that I see this year with Dallin is there. He seems to have no more panic in his game. You know, before it nope. was oh, just pulled the pin out of this puck and it's going to explode, and I better get rid of it fast. Now <laughs> that's gone. Like I, I, I spoke to someone that who skated with him in the summer who said, listen, I've been telling people he's going to win the Norris Trophy this year. Like, that's how much I think of this guy and how much he's improved. I remember um, Warren Reichel telling me about uh, how he felt about Mikhail Sergachev when he had him in Windsor in the OHL, and he said he, he plays like he's in a rocking chair or he skates like he's in a rocking chair. He's that comfortable. He's that cool. There's no panic. There's no, no nervousness, and I see that with Rasmus Dahlin. Like, he's playing in a rocking chair. Everything's cool. He's in control. And I haven't seen that before. You're a lot closer to it than I am. Have you seen flashes of this Rasmus Dallin before, or is this all new?
3: You've seen little snippets here and there, but certainly not game after game after game. And to me, Jeff, it really goes back to February. He was struggling a lot last season, but then his game picked up a little. He got named to the All-Star team, probably because somebody from the Buffalo Sabres had to go. And I think that was a seminal moment in his career. He spent a lot of time in Vegas with Victor Hedman on the ice, on the bench, in the dressing room. And I think that made a major impact. And Victor Hedman made it clear to him, you belong here. You are an all-star. You should feel like you're an all-star. And I think he left that trip Mm -hmm. a different player. The Sabres obviously finished the season last year very strong. And has come back this year feeling like he's the man for really the first time. And you see he's playing 25 20 night he's got 10 points in eight games he's plus seven and we just don't see any kind of mistakes in the defensive zone and he has become the full player and he's the number one overall pick but that's as an 18 year old now he's 22 and you're talking five years in it makes a major difference on defense go
1: back and ask people in tampa
3: where hedman was in year two three four of his career it makes a real difference when you get a little more experience
1: yeah, and you know what? I think one of the best things that happened with Victor Hedman in Tampa is he had he had Rick Bonus, and you're right. Like yeah. those first couple of years in Tampa, he looked anything but a second overall draft pick. We know the transition for defensemen is always tougher. I remember one game; it might have been one of might might have even been one of his first games. He's playing for Tampa, obviously, and they're playing Ottawa, and Chris Neal come around the net and just. Destroyed him, and afterwards he said, "Like, yeah, I, this this is this is a whole new experience for me. It's almost, I almost need to, to learn this game all over again." And you're right; like, it took a while. And he had one of the best defensive coaches right there on the bench, helping him and talking to him and working through all these things. Who um, who do you, who do you? Th- I mean, other than you know the headman Vegas connection, who do you think's had the most effect on Rasmus Dahlin? Like, I'm always curious. Like, okay, so who got through to him? Who finally yeah, you know, this guy uh, that he's in the NHL. Is there someone? is there someone there?
3: Yeah, I mean i mean, obviously Don Granado's a major factor and very publicly and privately he's been in Dallen's ear about you're the guy, you can be here, but they've done a good job coaching and Marty Wilford, the defense coach. And the other thing they have Dan Girardi here as a development coach. And I think Dan Girardi's had an impact with all these defensemen. He's not around them all the time, but he certainly has been around enough and has been able to impart some of the knowledge he had in his long career. And, you know, this team, when the, before the injury, he said, you started the season with Darlene and Joe Kiharo and Samuelson and Owen Power. and, and he, they're, They had one of the best young defense cores in the league here until the injury struck, and Darlene is at the heart of it.
1: You know interesting. you mentioned marty wilford as well he was a, a former assistant uh with anaheim in, in san diego with with dallas akins before he uh got the big job and amongst other people he was responsible you know for helping to to finish up and get ready for the nhl players like brandon montour like all those like the anaheim ducks have done a really good job developing defensemen and it seemed as if marty wilford was right in the middle of i don't want to say all of them but a majority of them. So that's interesting that you bring up that name because that is like on the business card for Marty Wilford, you know, the NHL defense maker. Like he's, he's, he's that guy. That's, that's interesting that that's one of the first names that comes out of your mouth, Mike.
3: Yeah. And you know what, to me, I mean, he had one of the best jobs in hockey at the start of the season. What a, anyone would want to coach a young defense core like the Buffalo Sabres had now they're trying to muddle through these injuries, but You know, so far, it's helped. The goaltending's held up, and and here they are looking at a big week ahead, but uh, definitely playing well enough to to be a factor here in 5-3 and in the first eight games.
1: So, uh, safe to say that I don't necessarily think that it'll be, like, some massive trade or anything. might even just be an AHL deal. Uh, But the Buffalo's looking for some help on the blue line. Like, I've been looking... You know, looking through AHL rosters and seeing like, okay, who's carrying too many defensemen? Who could make a deal? Oh, look at there's nine defensemen in Henderson, the the Vegas Farm team. Maybe there's a there's a Buffalo Vegas trade uh, that could happen. But safe to say, if Kevin Adams is doing anything right now, maybe he's looking for some some help on the blue line.
3: Yeah, he is. I mean, they brought in Matt Bartkowski into Rochester on a PTO to give them some depth because they have a couple of injuries in Rochester too. So they've been hit at both yeah. levels here. They're going to make another call up, I would think, in a couple hours here just to have an extra body for tonight. But I think Kevin Adams is looking. I know certainly he at least kicked the tire on Ethan Bear before he ended up going to Vancouver. But, you know, it's still it's Halloween. There's not necessarily a lot out there yet. But they didn't expect to have a need yeah. this early, and right now they certainly have one.
1: Um, share your thoughts with us on on Kevin Adams' summer. I mean, the summer was spent signing players, not bringing in new players. We know, you know, the Tage Thompson deal was, you know, certainly uh, a significant one. Um, the Samuelson deal was a significant one as well. But but by and large, it seemed as if Kevin Adams was saying it's not our time yet to make big moves. How do you think his his summer was?
3: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think he wanted to see his guys for another year and i think he knew he needed to bring in a goalie and he went out and got eric Comrie, who's been fine so far he needed a right shot defenseman and a little more physicality and he brought in Ilya labushkin who's now hurt and i think Ilya labushkin's missed a little in toronto quite frankly um so that's been a, a good move also and i think that's what he wanted to do he wanted Owen Power here from the beginning playing 20 minutes a night. He wanted to see a lot of his young forwards like Peyton Krebs and Casey Middlestadt, develop. I think he's going to do something at the deadline. If they're close to a playoff spot, he's not going to sit idly by. I think next summer when they have a lot of cap space, where they really have settled on their team, is when he makes a bigger move, makes some foray into free agency. But you're right, I think he's st- he's still on a slow pace right now trying to see what he has and how this team, you know, gels together. And, you know, was the end of the season last year, those last 28 games, a bit of a mirage of the schedule, or does that continue? And that's what we're trying to find out.
1: Uh, a couple of more things here with you. I want to get your thoughts on on J.J. Paterka, because I've been telling people, you know, going back to the beginning of the season, like, get comfortable with his name, uh, because you're going to hear it a lot for a lot of years with the Buffalo Sabres. Like there's, there are some players that the organization, from the owner on down, you know, they just become favorites, right? Like Zemgus Girgensons was that guy for a long time with the Buffalo Sabres. Was a real favorite uh, of the organization. I get the strong sense that J.J. Paterka is now that guy, or at least Mike, one of those guys that from ownership on down, it's yeah, this is this is this is one of our guys. We really like this guy here.
3: Absolutely, and don't forget, Kevin Adams traded up in the draft higher into the second round to get J.J. Paterka. That's how much he thought of him. and He had a great year, a great second half in Rochester last year. It struggled for him until about Christmas, and this year he didn't have a great training camp, and he's been better in the regular season than he's been in training camp. So we see a lot of the skill on the ice. You see the way he can move the puck. You see the vision on the ice. He's got a little bit of... uh, You know, a little bit of hot potato still with the puck on the offensive end. He's had some chances where he's just fumbled the puck so far, but that'll stop. I mean, it's still October in his rookie year, but we saw the explosiveness in the AHL, and the way he dominated the AHL playoffs last year. And you're right, Jeff, they're super excited for what he can do on this club long term.
1: Um, we're watching Jack Eichel with the Vegas Golden Knights and great performance last night uh, against the Winnipeg yeah. Jets. And, you know, you know, he's got Mark Shifley chasing him all over the ice in overtime, and he scores <laughs> with six or seven seconds remaining. But then here's the Buffalo Sabres. And, you know, Peyton Krebs was a, a huge part of it. He's still a young player, as we all know. But, man, Alex Tuck has worked out just brilliantly for this organization so far. Like, could this turn into one of those rare deals where both sides got exactly what they wanted, Mike? Absolutely. I mean, you
3: don't always have to win every trade. If both teams love a trade, what's wrong with that? Obviously, the Jack Eichel situation had become untenable. He needed to go somewhere else. I had no doubt he was going to be a good player for Vegas once he was healthy. Alex Tuck... You're trading Jack Eichel. Could you ever imagine getting a guy who wants to be a Buffalo Sabre more than Alex Tuck did out of Vegas, growing up outside of Syracuse as a Sabres fan, wearing the black and red jersey when he was a young child, you know, being able to rattle off all the names of the 90s and early 2000 Sabres at his first press conference. And you're right, he's, he's fit right in. He's playing very well. And don't forget, you know, he didn't necessarily get a lot of top six minutes in Vegas. They had a pretty deep lineup. Well, here he's going to always be on the top six. He's got... Six goals in the first eight games. And he's obviously a major factor in the dressing room. And it's a great pickup. And Vegas can be happy with Eichel. Eichel's time here had expired. And Eichel's going to play great in Vegas, I'm sure. And look what the standings are right now. They're pushing to the top of the Western Conference. And he might finally get that run to the playoffs. And the Sabres are certainly happy with Tuck. And with Peyton Krebs and the fact they got the number 16 pick in the draft, they'd never imagined the pick would be that high when Vegas missed the playoffs. So I think both sides right yes. now would say an A-plus trade.
1: So let me uh, let me finish here, Mike, by adding the, the Buffalo Sabres face off against the Detroit Red Wings tonight, one of three on the board around the NHL on this Halloween night. Uh, let me finish up by by asking you about Craig Anderson and his effect on the Buffalo Sabres. Now, as I believe it came down to a decision between Craig Anderson and Devin Dubnik a couple of seasons ago. Now, Dubnik just officially retired uh, over the weekend, and the decision was we're going to go with Craig Anderson for a couple of reasons. One, uh, his performance, uh, but two, uh, the way that he'll be able to work with younger kids and be that elder statesman in the dressing room. Now he finds himself... The oldest player in the NHL with a 9.46 save percentage. <laughs> uh, mind you, it was only three games, but nonetheless, there it is. Uh, if you can give us a hot 60 seconds on Craig Anderson, that would be great. The
3: oldest player in the NHL on the youngest team. I mean, that's one irony. But here's an example. Saturday night mm. against... Chicago. They're down 3-1 to one at the end of the second period and probably deserve a little bit better fate, but they've made a few mistakes in the second period. And Kyle Ocbozo came right on and said, Craig Anderson spoke in the locker room after the second period and said, just keep playing your game. You don't have to go score a goal on the first shift of the third period. Don't cheat the game. Keep working in the offensive zone, and things will work out. And what happened? Tage Thompson finally banged in a couple goals. They won in overtime. Craig Anderson, essentially, while playing great in goal so far, is another coach. He's another coach on the ice. He's another coach in the dressing room. And that's something you don't always get from your goaltender. It's a major factor with this club. We saw it again Saturday night. The players talked about what he said in the dressing room between periods. I did not even need to say anything. Craig Anderson could have run the room at that moment. And he just cannot wow. put a value, a value on that from a veteran goaltender. And that's what Craig Anderson brings to this club.
1: He's excellent. Uh, he's one of our favorites. Uh, follow him on Twitter at ByamHarrington. Uh, read him in the Buffalo News. He is uh, our good friend Mike Harrington breaking down the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, tonight they face off against the Detroit Red Wings. Thanks as always, Mike. Jeff, appreciate it. Take care. Have a good day. There he is, Mike Harrington from the uh, the Buffalo News. Uh, Bill Guerin still to come, hour two. Keep it here. Smart takes on the biggest stories in sports.
2: The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: This is The Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
1: Okay, welcome back to the program. Uh, really quickly here, although it does relate to our next guest, uh, you had three stars of the week in the NHL. No surprise, Connor McDavid, eight points, uh, course of course, at the Edmonton Oilers. Second is your first star. Second star, Jesper Bratt of the New Jersey Devils, a seven-point week, was exceptional again yesterday as the New Jersey Devils took care of the Columbus Blue Jackets. He's top five in scoring, having a heck of a season. And star number three... Uh, with a 3-0 record, 1.95 GAA, and 9.27 save percentage as the Wild went 3-1 and in the always-challenging four-game week. He is Mark andre Fleury, netminder for my next guest's squad. He is the GM of the Minnesota Wild. He is Bill Guerin, and he joins me now. Bill, how are you today? Thanks so much, as always, for doing this.
0: Hey, Jeff. I'm doing great. Thanks, buddy. I hope you're doing well, too
1: yeah everything's uh everything's good at this end let's uh let's begin with flurry here and you know that's always a, a nice accomplishment i know when you head into a to a busy week you say okay goaltenders over to you uh your thoughts on mark-andre flurry last week
0: yeah i mean uh listen he, he kind of found his game again and um you know he, he he played great for us and i i think he you know not just played played great in that but he, he showed a lot of leadership for our team i mean you know, it's no secret we didn't get out of the gates the way we wanted to, and um, you know, he he helped really get our team back on track.
1: Uh, he has been exceptional uh, for you guys. Like he, I know we all think of Mark Andre Fleury, and we think, you know, the smiling goaltender, spectacular saves. Uh, you know, the save that he made on Lidstrom when he was with the Penguins—that's going to be an all-timer to hold on to the uh, to hold on to the Stanley Cup there for the Pens. But we think of the happy-go-lucky guy, and we tend to forget that. You know, inside Marc-Andre Fleury is a really intense athlete and someone that really hates losing and someone that takes poor performances by himself really personally. I mean, you've seen it a lot closer than we have. Your thoughts on, you know, the the driven athlete that Marc-Andre Fleury is? We think of the smiling guy, the happy goalie, but you see the competitor, Bill.
0: Yeah, you, you're absolutely right. And they're, hey, listen, when he wasn't playing well, when like we were struggling there. There are a few broken goalie sticks along the way to, uh, to what he accomplished this week. And he is extremely driven and you know what, he's competitive. He doesn't, he doesn't want to let people down. He wants to, you know, be as good as he can for his teammates and, and give us a chance to win. So I I think when you see, you know, the smiling goaltender that that's actually who Mark Andre Fleury is, but you know, when you, when you see somebody work the way he does and, and, uh, compete the way he does. That's, that's another side of him as well. And, um, and I think that's what makes him so special is that he can, he can kind of separate the two and, and, you know, he's, he's competitive, but he's also a very, uh, very, very good person, very kind person and always has time for everybody. So, uh, he knows, you know, he knows when to, um, you know, be, be be that guy and then be the competitor. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> Let me ask you about uh, October hockey with your, uh, with your team. You mentioned getting out of the gate slow uh, a little bit. Now winners of three of your last four. I know will Saturday against the Detroit Red Wings. Um, but I want to ask you about Kalen Addison. Uh, seven points, second in rookie scoring. What did you think October was going to be like for Addison? I mean, it's, listen, we know it's tough for rookies, but what were your expectations of this young man for October?
0: Well, I mean, listen. He's he's done very very well for us. He's uh, you know been been at the top of our power play since uh, day one of the season, um, in, you know, in, including uh, training camp and preseason. And he's handled it very well. Um, you know, my expectations were, you know, not not this high, um, but you know, he's he's exceeded them. And um, you know, he's handled it really well. And I, I think you know what? For a young kid, sometimes you just you know they they want to dip their toe in and and kind of takes a little while to figure out. But he's uh, no he's been very very good for us and um, you know I, I think he's a he's a big reason that uh, you know our power play has has really turned around this year. Uh,
1: let me ask you about another defenseman here and that's uh, Matt Dumba. I don't know why I'm fascinated with things that I'm going to spit out here to you, Bill. And maybe you are and maybe you could, you'll just laugh it off. I'm not sure. But um, so Matt Dumba last week. Uh, became only the fourth player to get a fighting major against both Matthew and Brady Kachuk. He joins a list that includes Ben Sherrod, Jeremy Lozon, and Blake Wheeler. Your thoughts on what you've seen from Matt Dumba so far this season? <laughs>
0: uh, you know what, Matt? Matt's uh, Matt's had his ups and downs this season, but um, you know what, there's, there's one thing that he always brings, and, and that's fire, and... You know, he's a very emotional player. Uh, He's always involved. He's a big leader on the team. And, you know, he he gets in those situations because he plays hard. You know, he stepped up and and had a good, clean, open ice hit. And, uh, you know, he answered the bell to Brady Kachuk. And and for for me, that's fine. I I have no problem with that at all. I think it's, uh, you know, when you play hard, uh, you know, sometimes you have to do that and you know what? For for Matt to do that and and take Brady out of the game for five minutes, it's that's good for us too. Like mm-hmm. we, I, I thought it was great. And you know what? Like like I said, Matt Matt's had his ups and downs this year, but he's he no matter what, he's a, a big part of this this team. And um, you know, we we appreciate the you know the the emotion that he plays with every night.
1: Um, it's interesting. Further to that, it seems as if, and again, this is only one month, and this is all anecdotal and just kind of the the way that I I feel about things, but does it seem to you... Two things. Does it seem to you that the game now is getting edgier, bordering on nastier now that, you know, everybody can skate, everybody can shoot. Like the, uh, the elite play in this game, like the skill set that these athletes have is, well, it's, it's the best that we've ever seen, to be blunt. Um, and also, too, that where once upon a time maybe pressure didn't start until after Christmas, pressure now for everybody in every organization at every single level starts at game one. Like, does it feel like there's not, like there's not an, it's not an 82 game season It's 82, one game seasons. Like everything is like a season audit at the end of every single game. Does it feel that way to you as a general manager of a team?
0: Oh, totally. Herb Brooks used to always say it. He says, you've got to play one game 82 times. And that's really the way yeah. it feels like more and more every year. And um, you know what, there's just, there, the league is so close. We, when, there were, when I came in the league, there were 21 teams. You know, 16 made the playoffs. Now there's 32 teams. 16 make the playoffs. It's hard to make the playoffs. It's ex- it's harder than ever. The players are better than ever. Like you said, the skill. The skill in this game is ridiculous now. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. the players do things with their feet and the puck and all this stuff that we couldn't have imagined, um, you know, years before. And... and there's just so much more riding on it. So you have, if you don't show up every single night and, and give your best, there's, there's a chance you might not win. Um, you know, that being said, as, as a a GM and a former player, and you know, my, our coach Dean is a former player, we understand that you're not going to get 82 perfect games. You're just not, it's, it's impossible. Mm -hmm. Um, but we just we just need to show up and compete every night and um because if you don't you're 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 going to be you're going to fall behind and it'll be too late
1: well, that's the thing, too. I'm glad you mentioned Dean as well because you played real hard, Bill. We all know that. I watched, you know, your whole career. I watched all of, you know, the, probably all of Dean Evison's career as well. Like, he played hard. Like, they're like, he was not interested in, in, in taking nights off. Um, but when you look at the game now in 82 games and the way it's played and the pace it's played, not that anyone likes to talk about players taking a night off but can you understand it? Like I know that you weren't wired that way. I know Dean wasn't wired that way, but when you look at the nature of how the game is played now and there are four game weeks, et cetera, um, do you understand it maybe or do you still look do you still shake your head at it when you see a player maybe taking a night off?
0: No, and I, I, I do understand it. And I don't think anybody uh consciously takes the night off. It just they just won't have their their fastball that night and I, I totally understand that and that's just the way it is you, you have to um, you know you, you have to put yourselves you know I have to put myself in their shoes and you know there are a lot of nights I didn't have my fastball and I, I just you know what, you just don't have your legs or your your hands are gone for one night and you know it, the, the, the important thing is that the, if that happens that you regroup and, and get back on the horse the next game um but yeah, I think we have to really uh you know have some uh, uh you know empathy for the players when when they go through one night like that, hey, look, if it becomes you know three four five six games then then we've got a problem we've got to we've got to help this guy, but um you know if it's one night out of you know twenty twenty five games, then hey, you know what he just didn't have it uh i I think in nights like that what you what you don't want is the player to um just you know be a, a detriment to the team you know it just hey, if you don't have your legs you just got to be smart and 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 play a and play a real heads up game
1: uh i want to ask you about mason shaw here but before we get there i want to ask you about kirill kaprizov um that game against detroit i know didn't go the way that you wanted it to but that Kaprizov goal, I don't know what he had to look at. Like, I look at that goal and I say, how did he find the back of the net? The short side goal against huso yeah. Like, every time I watch Kaprizov, I just come away, like honestly, Bill, shaking my head. And there's always that, like, how did he do that? How did he find that seam? How did he find that hole? How did he, you know, uh, escape from that situation? Um, as you're watching this guy ma- mature through the league, and listen, that goal on, on Saturday was perhaps the most recent example, what goes through your mind? I mean, like you mentioned, you're not just a general manager. I mean, you played in the NHL for, for a lot of years. What do you see when you see Kaprizov?
0: Uh, he's a superstar. I mean, it, it's it's like when I, when I played in Pittsburgh and then I worked in Pittsburgh and I had the – the luxury of watching uh, Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin every night. And you're something, something special always happened. Like it just, and it brought you out of your seat and you're, or you just shake your head. And how do you, how did he do that? Um, and then, you know, you go to other games that don't have a Sidney Crosby or Evgeny Malkin. And you're like, well, when's somebody going to do something like that? And it just doesn't happen. And I feel that, mm-hmm. I feel the same way with Kirill and that he's always going to do something to just kind of bring you out of your seat or make you just make you say like, how, how did he do that? And um, he's a very special player and yeah, we're, we're lucky to have him. He, I mean, the Detroit game, I, I, I don't know how long he had the puck on his stick in the third period, but it was an awful long time. And um, you know, it, it, he was just, yeah, he, he he's incredible.
1: He's so much fun to watch. You know, we always talk about players that you would pay money just to watch. Karol Kaprizov's in that, uh, in that mix and in that conversation. Okay. Uh, other, other end of things. Uh, personally, I love players that, you know, slug it out in the American hockey league and then get their chance uh, and make the most of it. You know, Mason Shaw, you know, pounding it out with the, you know, Tim Army and the Iowa Wild for, for a few years and, you know, a call up here and a, and, a, and a call up there. Was really happy to see him score his first goal. Just knowing how much that means to anybody, really, but someone who's a fourth round draft pick, Medicine at Tiger, slamming it out in the minors for a while. Uh, your thoughts on what you've seen from, from Mason Shaw and, you know, watching the kids score his first goal, that's always special.
0: Yeah, Andy, Andy's overcome three ACL surgeries. I mean, this kid is – this kid's just good character through and through. And he, he's just – he's fought through a lot more than, than anybody really knows. and um, You know, and it, it's been physical. It's been mental. It's – you know, it, it's hard to overcome those types of injuries and then just keep slugging it out in the minors. And you know what? But uh, when you got – when you have the type of character that, that Mason does, you, you make it happen. And, you know, he's, he's uh, the – it's a perfect example of what you want your young players to just uh, to, to, to be like, you know, don't take no for an answer. Create your own opportunity. Don't don't be deterred just mm-hmm. because things aren't going your way. Just keep going and keep going. And and you know what? you You can do it. And, you know, it was so good. Good to see him get rewarded last night.
1: Absolutely. Um, before I let you go, I was just talking to Elliot a couple of seconds ago, and he's just come back from Dallas. Oh, at the sorry to hear that. Dallas Stars hockey hall of fame. Yeah, you know, I, I do. I do it daily. He's my <laughs> he's my work spouse, as my wife calls yeah, him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so he, yeah, so he's just come back from Dallas for their hall of fame. And we're talking about, you know, other teams doing it. It's, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. It's an, it's a wonderful event that Dallas had and other teams do this. Um, has the Minnesota wild, to your knowledge, ever discussed that doing their own hockey, hall? of the Minnesota wild hall of fame.
0: We, we actually have discussed it. Um, you know, nothing's uh, set just yet, but I mean, it's something that could very possibly happen. And, uh, in the future, but um, we are, um, unfortunately we don't have it, but I, I do think it's a nice thing. You know, if there's so many good players in, in the game, uh, you know, like, like hatch and, you know, Bob Ganey that, that, are, I mean, they had such a huge yeah. impact on, on the Dallas stars. And like, it's nice. It's nice for them to be recognized. It's nice for the fans to, to be able to recognize them and, and kind of keep them in their family. And, you know, it, I, I think it's really cool when, when, uh, when teams do that.
1: Yeah, I do. I uh, I feel the exact same way. Um, listen, uh, October is, uh, you know, after tonight, uh, come and gone. Good luck in November with the Minnesota Wild, and good luck the rest of the way. Always appreciate our conversations, Bill. You be well.
0: Thanks, Jeff. You too.
1: There is Bill Guerin, general manager of the Minnesota Wild, uh, turning things around in a very Competitive division one that now houses the Stanley Cup. That is, of course, the Colorado Avalanche. So three games on this Halloween: uh, the Red Wings and the Buffalo Sabers. Uh, that one gets underway at seven o'clock Eastern. The Caps and the Hurricanes. That one at seven o'clock Eastern uh, as well. Don't look now, but Martin Natchus looks real nice, doesn't he? For the uh, for the Carolina Hurricanes. To say nothing of Evgeny or, uh, of Andrei Svechnikov, uh, who finally now looks like that. 40 consistent 40 to 45 dare we say 50 uh goal score for the carolina hurricanes added a whole new dimension uh to that offense uh los angeles kings face off against the st louis blues that one is at eight o'clock eastern so it's going to be one of these nights uh for you hockey watchers uh that ends early uh many of you going out uh trick-or-treating with the kids and um, as I mentioned all show long, please, if you're driving, if you're out there tonight, please go uh, a little bit slower and make sure your lights are on and be mindful uh, that there are a lot of kids out there tonight uh, getting out there for Halloween candy. Uh, let's bring our producer back into the program, Matt Marchese. And uh, heard from a couple of people there, most notably Bill Guerin and, you know, Marc-Andre Fleury, the third star of the week. You look at the Minnesota Wild and you say to yourself, Maddie, if they're going to do anything this season in a really really tough division and we know all about you know the hatred between them and the st louis blues the rivalry with the avalanche the minnesota wild and the winnipeg jets always have knockdown, drag them out games as well uh how do you see the the winnipeg jets fit of the uh, the minnesota Ner- the minnesota Stars? man where's my brain today the minnesota wild figuring into that conversation figuring into the central and how crucial is it for Mark Andre Fleury to have the type of season that we just saw him have this past week. There we go. Managed to spit all that out.
2: Yeah, it's it's one of those things they don't have they just don't have the cover in that like I like Philip Gustafson, but he's not the cover like they had with Cam Talbot last year at the end of the year, right? And I think that's why that's it's That's why they so, wanted the duo, yeah. Yeah, and and I think that's why There's an exclamation point on Marc-Andre Fleury's season, or at least there needs to be, because he's going to be the guy that ends up, you know, being the workhorse for this team. Like I said, like Gustafson, but I don't think he's as good as Cam Talbot, and especially the fit in Minnesota. So I think that's super important. I'll tell you, the one thing that I love about watching the Minnesota Wild is the connection between Matt Zuccarello and Kirill Kaprizov. Those guys look like they share the same brain when they're out on the ice, don't they?
1: Yeah, they really do, and I, again, like I keep coming back to Saturday's game, and you know, uh, Garen mentioned the third period with Kaprizov. That shot, I, I, again, I don't know if you've, you've seen it. The the goal against who. So I don't know what he has to look at there. It looks like nothing, and he turns it into something, namely uh, a goal for the uh, for the Minnesota Wild. So it's going to be a big week for some teams. Uh, we always look at the teams that have four games, and this week it's the Ducks, the Sabers, the Canes who you'll see in action tonight. You'll see the Sabres in action tonight as well. The Red Wings, see them in action. The Panthers, the Kings, who you'll watch, and the Washington Capitals. Two-game weeks for the Blue Jackets and Avalanche. That's the Global Series in Helsinki. Uh, The Minnesota Wild, the St. Louis Blues, and the Winnipeg Jets. Thanks to everybody who took part in today's program. Bill Guerin, Minnesota Wild general manager. Elliot Friedman, welcome back from Dallas. Mike Harrington of the Buffalo News. Our producer, Matt Marchese. Technical operator Lance Kennedy, and making the whole thing look presentable. And that's tough when you're dealing with me. A big thank you, as always, to Jen Rolnick. Back tomorrow for more of the Merrick Show across the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. Happy Halloween. Be safe. Have fun. Get candy.